Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for the ASHP Advocating for Impact podcast, where every episode covers a policy issue impacting the practice of pharmacy. We'll do our best to translate the politics and the legalese to help you understand how these issues affect your practice and your profession. I'm Tom Krause. I lead the government relations team at ASHP, and today I'm joined by Jillian Schulte-Walt. Jillian is the Senior Director for Health and Regulatory Policy and ASHP's resident expert on engaging federal agencies. Today, we're going to share some updates on recent developments in health policy impacting the pharmacy practice. In the last few weeks, we've seen a number of new proposals coming out of the White House, from a proposal on a new new healthcare plan from the administration that that actually has several components. We've seen FDA finalize its its importation rule that we've discussed previously. And of course, we've seen a a sort of escalation in attacks on 340B. And so there's there's just a lot going on. And that's that's not even counting the Medicare rules that come out at this time and are often a big uh, component of our advocacy agenda. So there's a lot to talk about. And obviously, we're also in an election cycle. And so, you know, some of these uh, proposals ha- are, are very much tied to election messaging for, uh, for the candidates. So let's talk through this. And Jillian, I think we're going to need some help from you to, to navigate what's going on here. So with regard to the administration health plan, we've finally seen this proposal. You know, we've been hearing um, for a long time that there's a proposal about to come out. Now we've got it. So it's the America's first healthcare plan. Tell us what it is. So, I mean, I think it's really, you, there's been a lot of movement in the White House and from administrative agencies over the last couple of weeks. And so it's hard to follow everything that's happened. But the plan that was announced recently, it's really sort of an executive order of executive orders. So if you've been okay, following, so what is, yeah, what's that mean? Yeah, so you've been following all the health news really closely, which I'm sure everybody has not been because it's very hard to keep track of everything that's happening, even when it's your job. You There are a number of executive orders that have come out in even the last month around things like the most favored nation rule, which would allow for a third-party vendor to do all the purchasing of drugs for a hospital at the prices that similar foreign countries pay. So you'd get a lower price theoretically on drugs. And then there was a, a recent EO on epinephrine and insulin for federally qualified health centers. And prior to that, there were other executive orders related to drug pricing that had put into, been put into place. So what this health plan executive order did was essentially tie all of these together. And there were two new things that it sort of introduced into the mix. One was this idea that pre-existing conditions would have to be covered by whatever Congress decides um, in terms of what they're going to push for a healthcare plan. So that was one piece of it. And then the other piece was also this epinephrine and insulin order where the administration is really trying to push to get this through the door before the election takes place. So for the epinephrine and insulin, the idea is that if you are a federally qualified health center, you are going to have to pass the purchase, the the full discount under 340B for injectable epinephrine and insulin onto your patients. So essentially, you're going to have to put new guardrails into effect that requires this to happen. And then on top of that, 
there are a number of things this, this <laughs> executive order of executive orders directs the HHS secretary to do. And there are kind of three broad, like, buckets that these actions fall under. One is patient choice. And the, the EU is kind of vague on what this means. It says that Americans will have the ability to shop for insurance with an employer covering the cost. Well, that's already allowed. So I, it's not really clear how this is going to change anything that's currently in place. And then it also directs HHS to continue to expand and enhance telehealth services and, ex and accessibility and to make some of those flexibilities permanent. And that's something that's actually already in process as well. So HHS is through the, the rules that Tom was talking about earlier, the big payment rules that come out this time every year and that we're currently getting ready to comment on. Those are actually already in the process of making some of the telehealth flexibilities permanent. So in here, the EO didn't really do anything really remarkable. For healthcare costs, which is the second bucket of the things that the health, the HHS secretary is kind of directed to take a look at, the EO directs the HHS secretary to begin implementing the hospital price transparency executive order, which was actually, it wasn't fairly recent, but there was a a final rule from last year that that finalized this price transparency uh, requirement for hospitals that they have to publish a list of their prices that are searchable for um, shoppable services. And so the HHS secretary is now being told that they need to start actually looking at whether hospitals are complying with this requirement by January 1st, 2021. This is unlikely to make hospitals very happy, in part because they didn't like the hospital transparency rule anyway for a number of reasons, but also because we're still in the midst of a pandemic. And I think there are a lot of concerns about the kind of work this is going to take to implement and how long it's going to take to get it up and running and uh, how, how much manpower they really have to devote to this at this time. So I think you're going to see some significant pushback on that piece. And then in terms of healthcare costs, as we noted before, there are, there are a couple of things that the administration has tried to do on um, drug pricing. One was this most favored nations executive order, and the other was importation. So there was an executive order related to importation, and then there was a proposed rule from FDA last year, which was the Safe Importation Action Plan, and that actually was just finalized by FDA. So this is the the rule that would allow for states partners, including pharmacists, to set up their own programs to import drugs um, from Canada, and it would be for wholesale purposes. So instead of personal importation, which ASHB has never had a problem with, this would actually allow for providers to import their own drugs from Canada. They have to be FDA approved. They have to be manufactured in accordance with FDA requirements. And you still there's still a ban on bringing in biologics or anything that's a very sensitive product. So FDA is in process of implementing that right now. We think there's going to be at least a 60-day delay because FDA said there's an implementation timeline for the proposed rule. And then I don't think you're going to see anything happen before the election given uh, how focused states are on other things at the moment. Although I think through press, we had heard there are some state proposals that have gone to FDA. Yeah, so so in fact, HHS acknowledged uh, during the rollout that there was that there were states uh, with with plans already um, already on the table. So yeah. that's that's interesting. But it's it's interesting that they're they're sort of going to be waiting to uh, to implement that a bit. I think it's actually worth noting um, for listeners when Jillian talks about executive orders. 
we should probably just give some context to what that is. An executive order does not mean that these actions take effect immediately. Generally, what an executive order is, is the executive branch, the White House, telling the administrative agencies that they shall go do something. But that something is usually in and of itself promulgating a regulation which which requires a proposed rule and then a finalization of that rule. So it's 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 like way at the beginning of a process uh, that is a multi-step process and it is not an essential starting point for that process. Usually what just happens is agencies will just propose a rule and then they'll seek comment on it and they will finalize it. So this I just want to make sure folks understand that there we are we're sort of at the beginning of that chain of events for many for many of these things. Now, one thing that actually is a pretty dramatic shift from what we've previously heard from the administration was this announcement of sort of prepaid cards for Medicare beneficiaries to purchase drugs. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there? Because that, unlike some of those other things that are regulate, you know, telling an agency that they have to promulgate a regulation and then get comments and then finalize it, which could be a years long process. This seems like it could happen really in a few weeks. We don't, we don't actually know. Is that? Yeah. I mean, I think you've got a good point there. So this was a sort of a surprise part of the announcement. It wasn't part of the executive order itself. It was something that was raised at the press conference announcing the the EOs. And so the administration is saying that they're going to send a one-time $200 discount card to Medicare beneficiaries. Based on press reporting that we've seen so far, it sounds like that was going to be funded out of the Medicare trust fund. There's no timeline associated with it. I think the idea would be that it would go to Medicare beneficiaries prior to the election, but I don't, there hasn't been any plan yet announced by CMS. So we're keeping an eye on it because I think we're going to get some questions on when people should be expecting to see these things in the mail, but the administration just hasn't given any additional detail at this point. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about some some actions that states could take around um, importing certain drugs. And and that kind of ties into this this broader um, regulation that that is now final around uh, importation. So FDA finalized its importation rule. Um, it provides two pathways by which products could be imported into the United States for favorable pricing. Can you tell us a little bit about those those two pathways? And and do we have any um, kind of ingoing perception on is this going to be widely used? You know, what are, what are going to be the kind of main dynamics? Yeah, so I think um, the EO really just kind of mentions importation broadly. It's this FDA announcement that has really made it permanent. And one is the, the final rule we were talking about, and that is for state programs. So it's states and groups within states. So it's pharmacists, uh, public health departments are can be involved and some other some other folks who are kind of at the state health level who can work to come up with a program for importing drugs from Canada. Like I said, there are some limitations on what can be imported. It's outpatient drugs that are, for the most part, you're not going to see like the high cost injectables and sterols coming through, I think, because it's much harder to maintain quality for those. So I think it is probably going to be largely outpatient drugs, at least initially. And so the the programs have to 
go to FDA. So FDA can determine that the importation does not pose a health and safety risk to patients and also that it's going to create cost savings. And so that's really what the final rule kind of lays out in more detail is uh, what a program actually has to demonstrate in order to get past those two hurdles. So I think it's worth noting here that there's a possibility that nothing will get approved, that none of these state programs will actually meet FDA's requirements. Um, I don't know that that's the case. It may be that some state or some group has come up with an amazing proposal that will save a ton of money and it has absolutely no risk associated with it. But I think FDA is going to probably take a pretty close look at whatever is being proposed before it goes ahead and gives its imprimatur to any of these these plans. And then the other piece of what came out of FDA was this final guidance, and that is actually for manufacturers. The idea there is that manufacturers can re-import their own drugs into the United States. So these would be drugs that are FDA approved, but they're manufactured in foreign facilities. And then the manufacturers would have to get a new NDC code for these drugs coming in. They would need to comply with all FDA labeling requirements for those drugs. They'd have to do a lot of sort of back-end work to get these drugs back into the country. And the kind of initial reaction has been, what is the benefit to manufacturers here? You know, they can sell the same drugs in the United States at the regular price. So why would they undercut their own product sales? I think is kind of the bigger question. I think there's there had been some discussion um, going back, you know, more than a year now that there were some long-term contracts that manufacturers were locked into that were kind of tied to the NDC for those products. But that, we'll have to see. I mean, it, it doesn't seem to make sense to me that manufacturers would be looking to undercut their own pricing. Yeah. And I guess before we turn to the last piece in the EO, I'm just curious, Tom, you worked for FDA. I mean, how big a fan do you think the agency is of this importation proposal? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, FDA is an administrative agency. It's part of HHS, part of the executive branch. So, you know, they are not able to express an opinion that is inconsistent with what the kind of broader HHS um, is, is saying. However, you know, if you look at the kind of career staff of HHS, and, and FDA, they have historically been very concerned about importation. Um, you know, the agency has taken a lot of steps to ensure that the security of supply chains, that has been a, a, a long-standing focus of the agency. So I, I suspect that we would find that, age, that that career staff would have some concerns about it. That said, they are going to do whatever they are asked to do to implement that uh, regulatory proposal. I guess that that kind of brings up another another issue, which is, you know, pr no prior. There's actually been legislation on the books for well over a decade allowing FDA to import drugs, but it was contingent on two things: finding that the secretary could guarantee the safety of those products, and finding that the importation would yield substantial substantial uh, cost savings. And no secretary has ever been willing to do that. So I think, you know, there's likely to be some question going forward about whether this proposal will be able to achieve that. And, you know, I, I would expect that we could see some challenges either from, you know, a future administration 
or from manufacturers themselves. Mm-hmm. But I think there's going to be lots of, of threats to this. You know, and that kind of brings up one other thing that I, I just want to flag. Obviously, we're in an election season. We don't know how the election, the election is going to, to play out. You know, if, uh, if there is a second Trump administration, there is, there is time to execute on a lot of these proposals. If we find ourselves in a Biden administration, I don't see any way that these many of these proposals would get finalized. You know, even if the Trump administration does try to quickly finalize them uh, in the remainder of the, of the year, which would which would be a Herculean feat in and of itself. You know, regulations generally do not move that quickly. Uh, but even if they did, they will run up against what's called the Congressional Review Act, and that's a a law that was passed by Congress that says. Hey, you know, we don't want um, an administration pushing out a bunch of regulations, uh, especially during a, a lame duck period, if that's what we find ourselves in. So Congress gets a 60 day look back where Congress can give an up or down vote to regulations. And so that often that often is a barrier to any administration trying to pass new regulations towards the end of a presidential term. So often what they will try to do is get everything they want to get done prior to the beginning of November or the early days of November so that there's no risk that they, you know, find themselves having lost an election and then having Congress say, you know, you're trying to jam these through, we're not going to let that happen and having it reversed or having the, an incoming administration uh, do that. So, you know, again, we don't, we don't know, um, which scenario we'll find ourselves in, but there are a lot of kind of mounting concerns for the Trump administration to finalize these various proposals. So clearly there's a lot uh, a lot going on in the regulatory front. Um, I mean, it's, I think I can't remember the last time we've had that many moving pieces. And that all of that is kind of aside from the, the various inpatient and outpatient prospective payment rules and the um, physician fee schedule, all of which were recently proposed. So are there any highlights from that that folks should be aware of? Yeah, so um, we're finalizing the comment letters are actually going in today, October 5th. So there are a few things worth noting. There's the physician fee schedule. There aren't any, there's nothing in that rule that's of huge concern. There are a lot of pieces that we're working on and have been pushing for a while, including this idea of coding incident to evaluation and management services appropriately. So this idea that pharmacists who are being supervised by physicians should be able to bill and at the those physicians should be able to bill at those highest levels, the ENM code, so 99215 or 99214, because there's been some inconsistencies with the Medicare administrative contractors as to whether that's allowed. And also CMS has kind of been all over the place in their interpretation of what's allowable. So um, for some services like remote physiological services, they've suggested that that may be okay. But in other places, there's an American Medical Association CPT code book that comes into play. And that seems very clear that for auxiliary personnel, which is what pharmacists are considered, you cannot bill higher than 99211. And that would be very disruptive to any number of existing care models. So um, we've had meetings with CMS about this. We've sent comment letters in the past about this. We're still trying to kind of get a clear statement from CMS that we can address it one way or the other. If it doesn't go the way we want, I think there are congressional 
possibilities down the road, but we're hoping CMS will come around our way of thinking and clarify it so that you can, you know, pharmacists can bill at the level through the physician at the level that accurately reflects the services they're providing in terms of time and intensity. Well, Jillian, we have covered an enormous amount of ground in, uh, in, a, in a short amount of time. There's a lot going on. And so thank you very much for helping us um, wade through some of this. I certainly expect that we're going to see more on all of these topics in the next few months. So thank you for hitting the highlights for us. I suspect we'll have you back uh, to talk through um, more of these issues as they develop. So thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.